here. We'll grab your Bible this morning and open it to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, however you get to your Bible, whether it's digital on your phone or paper Bible, whatever you brought with you, um, we're going to get to 2 Peter chapter 1 in just a moment. We're asking one big question this year. Our one big question is, do I trust God? And all of our messages are leading to that point in how we trust God in different ways of our lives and how important it is to give him everything. We're in a mini series right now talking about trusting God with our finances that we're calling generous and content because we notice that throughout scripture, uh, two of the things that God calls us to in regards to finances is to be generous, to be giving, but also to be content because we are trusting God with our finances and we're trusting God's word has laid out a plan for our finances that we are called to participate in. But I wanna share a concept with us this morning that I believe can do several things for us. I think it can help us understand generosity and contentment, but I also believe that it can help us understand how to trust God fully with everything and with our finances and I don't know about you, but I happen to, to love God's word. I happen to be a big believer in God's word. And I believe that God's word is so powerful that it can communicate all of this in one verse. One verse. So we're gonna look at one verse this morning. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse three. Here's the concept I want us to catch. That the generosity of God leads to our contentment. The goodness of God, the generosity of God. When we look at what God has done for us, it will lead to our contentment. And I want to make an argument today that the generosity of God is so profound that it should lead you to trust him fully and trusting him fully will lead you to a life full of generosity and contentment. And I'd like us to look at 2 Peter chapter 1 verse three. Now we'll look at some other verses to support this idea, but um, we can mostly see everything that we need in this verse alone. But to start us off, I, I'd like us to pray. And then I want us to read this verse together so that we just get it into our hearts and our minds. So let's pray. Jesus, we give you thanks. We give you praise for your word. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to your wisdom this morning, that we would leave different than when we came in, because the power of your word spoke something to us, and we caught the truth in it. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to put it on the screen, and I would like us to read it together. Ready? Here we go. His divine power has given us everything we need. Sorry, sorry. That is so, we sound so lame right now. We do not sound like we are excited to read God's word, okay? We gotta read it with conviction and boldness. Ready, here we go. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, amen. Do you know, do you know how to dig deep into one verse? I hope you do, but if you don't, I'm gonna model that this morning. I'm gonna just dig really deep into this one verse. And we're gonna mine as much of the truth that we can get out of it in the short 35 minutes that they allow me to speak. 
Now, in order to do this, we're going to need to separate the concepts that this verse lays out for us in order for us to see the generosity of God and how it leads to our contentment. But as we separate these concepts and these verses, you can also begin to see how that, that separation or that little phrase connects us to trusting God in some way. And so I'm also going to connect a question about our big theme about trusting God. And you'll, you'll understand this as we get going this morning. But let me start with the first concept, and I believe that it'll begin to make sense as we move on. The first little phrase is the first one, and that's this phrase, his divine power. His divine power, which leads me to this question. Do you trust that God's divine power created the earth? See, because in the end, God's divine power needs to be understood by us in such a powerful way. And one of the most powerful things that we see that God did with his divine power is creating the world, creating the earth, creating the sun and the planets and the moon and the stars and the cell and the DNA strand and the RNA strand and your protein molecules. All of these things are part of God's divine power and his work in creation. All the animals, all the mountains, all the rivers, all the seas, everything in it, and especially you and me who are created in the image of God. As you read your Bible and you read it from beginning to end, you will discover that there is one thing that must be understood by kingdom people by followers of Jesus Christ and believers in God Almighty, and that is that he is the creator. Now, this launches you and I into a foundational understanding of our faith and our life and our identity as you understand that God is your creator and your heavenly father. It's foundational to everything. And by the way, that's why I believe the idea of creation has been attacked for the past 150 years so voraciously. Now we can see in our world today that there are lots of things that we believe as the people of God and that the Bible tells us are, are under attack, like family and identity and marriage and parenting and sexuality and gender, but but all of those things are being attacked now because creation has been attacked already. See, because when you stop believing that you are special, that you are unique, that you are an amazing creation of God, everything falls apart. It falls flat on its face. In fact, you can tear apart everything in society when you start believing that you're a mistake some sort of statistical anomaly that in a random kind of chaotic way happened once in a hundred trillion years. That's you. Doesn't that make you feel good? See, everything falls apart when creation falls apart. But I'm happy to tell you something interesting this morning. The idea of theism, that God created the world, and the idea of creation or Another way to spin it is intelligent design is coming back. It's coming back. And the reason it's coming back is because with our technology, we are beginning to understand that there's just no way that this is a mistake. 
There's too much about nature and about science and about what we see as we are looking with greater and greater telescopes into the heavens and as we are looking with microscopes into the DNA strand and the RNA strand and into every cell. It's becoming more and more understandable that everything is in perfect and precise order. I recently watched uh, a PBS special about this new centrifuge that they have built in, in Europe. They built it about five years ago, and their hope was to, to discover some things about the human cell. That if they put it in this centrifuge and they spun it really fast, they could find some of the most important things about the cell. They had 10 things that, that they put on their list. As scientists, they put 10 things on their list that they thought they would discover as they started spinning the cell really, really fast. And here's the bad news. They didn't find out any of those 10 things. But they found out 1,500 other things that they didn't know. And now they shut the centrifuge down and said, until we can figure out these other 1,500 things first, we won't fire it up again. Because what we're discovering is that the complexity of our world and the uniqueness of it had to have been thought of by a very, very smart and wise person. One of the individuals that has started this frame of thought in the past 20, 25 years and has done a great job of helping us understand that is Stephen Meyer. Stephen Meyer is the head of the Discovery Institute in Seattle, and he uh, now has a list of Numerous scientists all around him. Many uh, are the brightest and most intelligent people on the planet, and they've all moved away from evolution to intelligent design. And I'd like to show you just a short video this morning from Stephen about his newest book, which I recommend, and um, about the idea that everything that we understand about science today is because God created us and created nature. Let's watch. Okay, to round out these questions specifically on history of science that actually brings things to today and actually probably connects to your book, um, someone asked, philosophy can be argued to have its roots in ancient Greece and the diversity of thought was enabled, enabled <clears throat> by the flexibility of its pagan ideology. Philosophy matured past its roots in Plato, Aristotle, Pythagoras, etc. What do you say to the argument that science has now matured past its Christian origins? Uh, I say read Return of the God Hypothesis. <laughs> uh, the, uh, that, that's right on point for the book. As the, the book tells a big story. It's the rise of modern science during the period of the scientific revolution as the result of or in consequence of these Judeo-Christian presuppositions that are in the minds of the early scientists. We lose that perspective in the late 19th century with the rise of figures like Darwin, Marx, Freud, Heckel, um, and many, many others. Scientific materialism becomes the dominant worldview that's associated with or attached to science. I think the major discoveries of 20th century science, especially about biological and cosmological origins, are bringing back that theistic perspective. And if not, if they're not bringing it back, they, they should be bringing it back. That's the argument of the book, that, that the evidence we now have of the, uh, concerning the origin of the universe and the origin of life, the fine tuning of the universe, these three big discoveries, I think, have profoundly theistic implications. So I don't think theism is in any way irrelevant to the scientific project. Uh, instead, I think a theistic view provides the best overall 
explanation of the, uh, the big facts we have about biological and cosmological origins. So science is, again, I think, pointing to God. And the theistic presuppositions that made science possible are still implicit in everything we do in science. Right. Nature is intelligible. It is ordered. And that order is contingent. Stephen talks about the scientific revolution that happened between the 1400s and 1700s when many scholars and scientific people like Sir Isaac Newton and Johannes Kepler and Galileo and Copernicus, who really you and I know the foundation of all science. We study about these people because the foundations of what they discovered are still what we hold true today. We've, we're building all of science on their um, presuppositions about science. But here's what's interesting. There was something very interesting happening in Western Europe during that time. And the key things that were happening in Western Europe at that time were not scientific. They were spiritual and theological. And out of this spiritual movement of understanding Jesus Christ as your Savior and a theological movement of understanding God's Word as the most important thing in the world these scientists' minds began to be opened up to all of nature and to all of science. And they began to believe, most of these scientists believed three major things. And they are biblical things and they are Judeo-Christian presuppositions about nature. The first is the intelligibility of nature. That nature reveals that it was created by someone with intelligence and that someone is God. They, they believed in the order of nature that nature reveals that it is working in a very precise order, not in chaos, and the contingency of nature. This is the idea that God could have made the world any way he wanted to, but he made it the way we see it, and it's up to us to go look at the empirical evidence to figure out how he made it. One of the verses that all of these individuals held to was Romans chapter 1, verse 20, that says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. See, most scientists that believed these three Judeo-Christian presuppositions about nature began to investigate all of nature because of verses like this one and others. And the explosion of knowledge that was a result of not only studying nature, but in believing God's divine power in creation. It's interesting as well that we right now are also in another time where science is exploding and most of the people that are having the major breakthroughs, like Francis Collins, who mapped the human genome, was a follower of Christ. As Francis Collins said yes to Jesus, Jesus opened his mind to map the human genome, the DNA strand. That's not an accident. It's not an accident that all of the the foundation of science that we've been studying from the 14 and 1700s was an explosion of science because of people that said that believed in God's divine power. And the next greatest explosion we've had, the DNA strand, was done by a man who believed in the creative and divine power of God Almighty. That's not an accident. The generosity of God is overwhelmingly obvious through the creation of our world and the universe. Let me give you some more simple ways. 
How many of you like coffee? Yeah, you are a part of the $100 billion industry we call Starbucks, correct? <laughs> Not really. I know some of you don't like Starbucks, but the point is you do like coffee, right? Well, God made the coffee bean. How many of you like ribs? Steak, yeah. God made the cow. You know, one of the things I love, midsummer, late summer, sweet corn. Ah, oh, man. I'm sorry, I'm making you really hungry right now. And at some point, you're going to get a wave of pancakes and bacon. God made sweet corn. Do you like your house, your apartment where you live? God made the wood and the metal you used to build that place. How many of you like to breathe? Breathing? Anyone breathing in the room? Okay. God made oxygen. How many of you like the clothes you wear? I like you wearing clothes. Just going to... And I can tell you something else. You really like me wearing clothes. <laughs> Nobody wants to see this without clothes on. God made the plants that make our clothes, didn't he? I know you like your cell phone. And God made the metal and the plastics and everything that is used to make your phone. God made it. See, every single thing man has built on this earth comes from the phys physical materials that God put on this planet in his creative process knowing what it would lead to to today. That's all part of the generosity and divine power of God. The next phrase is this, has given us. His divine power has given us. Which leads to this question. Do you trust that God wants to give you good things? Do you trust that? Do you trust that God is good and that he wants to give you good things because that's who he is. He is generous. He loves to give. Giving's part of God's nature. It's part of his character. He gave us creation. He gave us his word to guide us. He gave a promise to Abraham to rescue the world. And we now know that person, Jesus Christ. God's given us so many things. And let me point out some things that the Bible tells us God has given us through his heart of generosity. Proverbs tells us that God gives us wisdom and knowledge and understanding when we need it. That God gave us Jesus and salvation. Our favorite verse, or maybe most well-known one, John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave. This is the heart of our Father. To be generous and to give us good things. 2 Corinthians 5.5 says that we have been given the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. 1 Corinthians 12 says that the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts. You have a spiritual gift, and it's your job to figure out what it is and then to use it to further the kingdom of Jesus. Ephesians 4 tells us that he's given us grace, you and I are getting every single day what we don't deserve through the grace of Jesus Christ, through the cross and the resurrection. The generosity of God is being poured out upon our lives through the grace and mercy of Jesus and the forgiveness that he brings into our lives. Every single moment of every single day till you and I get to heaven, that grace is upon our lives. That's the generosity of God. 1 Thessalonians 1 says that God gives us joy in the midst of suffering. Now, honestly, I wish the verse said that God just rescued me from my suffering. 
But he has something deeper and more precious in the middle of that suffering, something that you can't buy on a shelf at Walmart. It's joy. God gives us strength, Timothy says. James 1 says we get wisdom. 1 Peter 1 says we have new birth into a living hope through the resurrection. 1 John 5 says we have eternal life through the Son. Over and over again, this is just a, a small sampling of the generosity of God. But when we grasp that God wants to give us what we need, then it will lead to a contentment that is very strong because our provision is in God alone. Now the next phrase that teaches us that the generosity of God leads to our contentment is everything we need. His divine power has given us everything we need. Could you turn to your neighbor and say everything? And then turn to your neighbor and say that I need. Yeah. And then one more, not that I want. Wouldn't it be boring if you got everything you wanted? Some of you say no. But let me tell you how boring it would be. You would hate it if the 49ers won the Super Bowl every year. Because that's what I want, and God would give it to me. Unless you prayed too. And then whose answer would he answer? Yours or mine? Would I have to be better than you? Or would you have to be better than me? See, this is an endless cycle of nonsense. God gives us what we need, not what we want. Which leads to this question. Do you trust God for everything? Not just sometimes or for some things, for everything. Do you trust him all the time for everything? See, God wants us to trust him for everything. From the smallest thing in our life to the largest, most heart-wrenching trials in our life as well. Trusting that God's divine power is giving us everything means something interesting. It means that you and I have a close relationship with God. If I'm trusting God for everything, then that means I'm trusting him from the moment that I wake up, everything through my day, and when I go to sleep. Every single day of my life until I go home. That's a lot of everything. But it also means that what God is looking for is this intimate, close relationship that you and I have with him. Because we're trusting him all throughout the day for everything. You're trusting him with your kids when you go to work and they go to school. You're trusting him with the person that you work with that you don't like and you're trying to learn to love. You're trusting him with everything in your life, with your marriage and your parenting and your finances. Everything is getting focused and, and worked through this filter that God is with you and for you, never leaves you, never forsakes you, and that God has given you everything that you need. This requires a level of intimacy with God that is very deep. A kind of intimacy that trusts God hourly, Daily, minute by minute. It works its way well into um, everything. It also means that you stopped relying on yourself. 
You've stopped relying on yourself. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. This is who he is. See, one of the most very important things we need to remember when we are studying God's word is to look at how these phrases are connected. These phrases are connected. The context brings an even better and deeper and richer and more powerful meaning and interpretation when we look at the verses that we are studying. And so the next phrase launches us into a specific purpose for which God has provided everything for us. It's actually the answer to what everything is, and that is for a godly life. What God is saying is, I will give you everything that you need for a godly life. God is saying that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Now, you may say, well, I, I, don't, I don't want everything for a godly life. I want, I want everything for my life. That's not the answer. Jesus said, I'll give you everything you need for a godly life, which leads to this question. Do you trust that the life God reveals to us in the Bible is the best life? Last week, we, we called it real life, remember? The verse we talked about said that this is the life that is real life. This is the best life. And it gets a little challenging, I understand that, when you say that God's providing everything for me for a godly life, but this phrase implies something specific. It implies that God will provide everything we need for the life that he calls us to. It's not saying that God will give us everything we need for our life, for the American life, for the American dream. It's saying that God will give us everything for a godly life. And here's what's interesting. That implies that you want to live a godly life. If you want to live a godly life, if you want to honor God's word in your life and you want to follow Jesus all the days of your life, then what the word is saying is God will provide everything you need for that life. You will never lack a single thing in your godly life. Say, well, Pastor Mark, what will God give us to live a godly life? What will God give you? Well, let me just give you a couple things that God's word says he's already given us. And I would maybe even make a theological argument that we wouldn't even need to add anything more to what God has already done. But he does anyway because he's generous, kind, and good all the time. But here are some things that God has already given us to live a godly life. Forgiveness and grace through the cross of Christ that opens heaven to our soul. That is already yours in Christ Jesus. Eternal life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Power through the Holy Spirit residing in you. Power to do anything in this world. Hope for today and hope for tomorrow. Peace to guard your heart and your mind in Jesus so you don't have to be anxious about anything. 
love for the world. So we'll share the gospel. He will also give you things that are really cool, like conviction. So that you won't be tempted to sin or you'll avoid sin in the midst of temptation. He'll also give you discipline, like adult spankings. He'll do this for you. It's so He's so good that he will give you an adult spanking once in a while. And say, Pastor Mark, you lost me at good and adult spanking. This is who God is. Because he loves us so much, he disciplines us so that when we do sin, we will learn our lesson and avoid that sin the next time and not create the same chaos in our life. God does that because he is a loving heavenly father. Isn't that why on Father's Day you have disciplined your own kids? Because you didn't want them to go astray? I mean, I'm sure there's one father in the room that told his son or daughter not to touch the hot stove because it was a good idea. Anybody? Like we do that. God does too. God also allows suffering. So we will learn the deepest and most important lessons about God and ourselves in the midst of that time. As it leads us to this deep well where you and I dig from really, really fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit and learn the truth about God and ourselves and our situation and the world. God's given you a community a church, so you will have friends to grow in Jesus with and hold one another accountable to the ways that we desire to live for God. He's given you a spiritual gift to encourage the church, a prophetic word to remind you that God is speaking and wants you to live for him, physical healing so you are reminded that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the Bible so that you will know his thoughts, his desires, and commands, and that they are with you all the time. Now, we could contend that that would be enough. But because God is so good and so generous, he gives abundantly beyond all we could ask or think, pressed down, shaken, and overflowing in our lives because he is generous and good. The next phrase that teaches us the generosity of God is this one, through our knowledge of him. Through our knowledge of him. This is the idea that we kind of launched with in the beginning. That when you and I begin to focus all of our knowledge on God. And we begin to focus our heart and our mind and our thoughts on him. Our mind and our life is opened up to the wisdom of God. And as it's opened up to the wisdom of God. It's opened up to the truth. It's opened up to what's right and wrong. It's opened up to our true identity as a created follower of Christ. And in that, in that moment, in that understanding, you and I find ourselves to be much more whole than we were trying to live life on our own. Through our knowledge of him leads us to a, a big question. Do you trust that knowing God will open your mind to all things? It will. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The interesting 
explosion of science during the scientific revolution was a result of scientists focusing on the Lord. And when they focused on the Lord, they began to grow in wisdom and knowledge. And as they grew in wisdom and knowledge, the sciences were blown open. Johannes Kepler, who was an astronomer and a priest on Sundays, said this about his life and about his scientific um, understanding. He says this, I was merely thinking God's thoughts after him. Since we astronomers are priests of the highest God, in regard to the book of nature, it benefits us to be thoughtful, not of the glory of our minds, but rather above all else of the glory of God. What a statement. Johannes Kepler said that I understood everything about science and that I give to you now because I understood the glory of God, because I understood the wisdom of God, because I began to understand who God is. See, here's what I would present to you in our day, 2022. As you put God first in your thoughts and in your life, he will reveal the wisdom that you need for your marriage, for your parenting, for your finances, for your work, for how to share the gospel with your neighbors and your family and your friends and the world, for how to pray, for where to serve, what to do in retirement for him, where to go to school, what relationship to say yes to and what relationship to say no to, sex and gender, suffering and grief. See, God can give us wisdom for every situation in our life through our knowledge of him and his word. We simply have to focus on him first. But isn't that the challenge? How many of you are sometimes like me? I look to myself first, or I ask somebody else first, or really unfortunately, I Google it first. <laughs> and then I learn from all those things, <laughs> there's not really a good answer yet, and then I go to God's word and I find the answer. Anybody like me? Don't raise your hand. Here's what we see and here's what we know. When you and I go to God first, he opens all things to us. That's what James is talking about in James 1 and James 3. That when we go to the Lord and we seek him first, he will give us all the wisdom that we need for this life and then some. The last phrase that teaches us that the generosity of God leads to our contentment is who called us by his own glory and goodness. The last thing that Peter says is that God has called us by his own glory and goodness. Which leads me to this question. Do you trust that God is good? Do you trust that he's good? Because this is a big argument in our world today. I'm not sure I can trust that God is good because I 
sometimes look at some old stories in the Old Testament and I, I question whether God is good. And so the millions of good things that I see God do are somehow wiped out by one thing I saw him do a long time ago. Not realizing that actually in his foreknowledge and in his understanding of mankind and his understanding of the situation and of the future of that situation was to act in that moment and it was the best thing to do so that the worst thing would not be continued. Why did God do that? Because he's good. His goodness called us to salvation. If you're in this room, and I know you're in this room, so you are in this room. Let's just put it that way. Why do we say that? If you're in this room, like what? Y'all, if you're live streaming, that's right. Thank you very much. If you're not in this room, you're on live stream. I just want to say something to those of you this morning. If you've never made a confession of Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to hear something this morning. He's calling you. He's calling you. He loves you. One of the things you discover when you first become a Christian is how much the goodness of God was chasing after you the entire time you didn't know him. And as you look back over your life, you recognize all these moments in your life where God was calling you, loving you, being good to you, being generous to you, sparing you, providing for you over and over and over again because his love is beyond what you can possibly fathom or imagine. This is the generosity of God for mankind. And my hope, if you don't know him, is that today would be the day that you would start to believe in him and follow him and give him your life because he's calling you into a relationship with Jesus. In his goodness, he wants to pour out Holy Spirit into your life. He wants you to believe the goodness of the Bible. Men, his goodness brought you a good wife. Do you treat her good? His goodness provides for our daily needs. His goodness is the reason we have anything and everything good in our lives. Everything is because of the goodness of God. See, this last phrase is another powerful act of God's goodness towards you and towards me. He's calling us into relationship with him. And this was no easy task. It required a flogging and a torturous death and a resurrection. But God did this because he's good, because he's generous, and because he loves you. Let me close and just bring this thought full, full circle. God's goodness leads to your contentment. The generosity and the goodness of God that we embrace is what allows us to live a content life. See, when we embrace the goodness of God, 
the generosity of God, everything that he's done for us and is working in us and out of us, contentment becomes our life. It becomes our life because we stop striving. We stop striving in Christ and we start resting in Christ. We stop pursuing righteousness and we understand I am righteous. I stop searching for an identity and I realize I already have one. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. See, when you and I begin to understand the things that God has already done, the generosity that he's already poured out, and the goodness that he's put into our lives, there's nothing that can happen in our lives except contentment. It's this, it's this giant, whoa, he's everything, everything I need. It's found in him. And all I really need to do is say, I trust you, Lord. And I will live for you all the days of my life. And I'll stop striving. I'll just let you and I be in great relationship. Would you stand with me? Recently, the church has had a a gift from the Lord, I believe. And it's in the song that we are about to sing called The Goodness of God. I'd like us to end this morning by singing this song. And I'd like us to reflect on the goodness of God in our lives. And how the goodness of God has always been a part of your life. As we sing this song, I want you to think about something. If you know Jesus as your Savior, I want you to think about all the good things that God's done for you, that he's going to continue to do. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'd like you to think about all the good things that you could see that he's doing right now and that he wants to do in you in the future if you'll just open your life to him. So in response this morning, could we sing this song with all of our heart focus on the generosity that leads to our contentment and then I'll come up and close us in just a minute but let's sing